So uh, apparently today is what day? Sunday. Yes, that is true. So I didn't grow up with Pioneer Day. So I was, I was really kind of, I was really perplexed when we first moved here. And um, I, I, I believe that I am a pioneer. I mean, we, we came out here, we pioneered, we we didn't bring hand carts, but we did come out here in a van and, and uh, with our little kids, and we planted this church. And so that's kind of like being a pioneer, right? We used to call it pioneering a church. Now we call it planting a church. But back in the olden days, we called it pioneering. So I don't even know if you can tell, but I have so much adrenaline pumping through me. I am, and it's not coffee, but I am so excited because this message, I mean, this passage of scripture is truly one of my very most favorites. It's one of the most foundational passages in my Christian life. It's, it's consistently been uh, kind of punctuated by the Lord in my life. Uh, it, is, it is such a powerful, powerful passage. And I was telling somebody yesterday, it is you know, coming into into something so meaty and so heavy and so full of doctrine and full of theology is it's a little overwhelming because we seriously could take each and every little phrase and just dig in. And there's so many different directions that I could go with this, but I just um, would ask that you would pray with me now that I would really bring the word of the Lord that he wants to speak specifically. Because you know, his word is living and active. It's, it's always pertinent. The word of God is always pertinent, but there are certain, certain sections that apply more than others at certain times of our life. Do, do you feel like I'm being heretical in saying that? I mean, you know how it's like, there are times where you'll be reading along and just won't get anything, and then boom! something just stands out and you're like, when did he put that in the Bible? (laughs) Don't you? I love that. I love that because it's transformative. It can change your life, legitimately change your life. And that's the thing. There are certain sections. This section is one of those sections for me. And so I am absolutely excited about it, but I'm also overwhelmed because it is so full. It's so full of so many awesome, awesome concepts. So would you pray with me now to just deliver exactly what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear today? Well, Father, I do come before you and I thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you're so good. Lord, I thank you that you are so kind Lord, I thank you that you love the people here this morning so very much. And it's in that, Heavenly Father, that I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, it would not be my words, but it would be your spirit speaking through me, that I could speak as though speaking the very words of God. I just offer myself to you as a living sacrifice, Lord. Use me for your glory. Speak, Lord. Speak, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, and we thank you again in advance. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. You servants listening? Awesome. All right. Uh, this morning, the, I titled it Prayer for Disciples because a, a lot of the translations call this passage the prayer for the believers, which, if you're a disciple, you clearly are a believer, But, you know, it says in James that even the demons believe. So we don't want to be in the same camp with them because they are not disciples, right? It says, even the demons believe and shudder, which they well should. Would you guys read this out loud with me? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Incidentally, this is one sentence. This one is only one sentence. Remember, 3 through 14 is one sentence in the Greek. This also, 15 through 23, is one sentence. They, there isn't the punctuation and all that. I mean, our, our, the church that we came out of, our grandmother church, the pastor is uh, Pastor Jack Hayford, and he probably would speak a sentence that would be this long, but I don't know many other human beings that could speak a sentence that would be this long. 
So can we read this together out loud? Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that God Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Amen. You can see how this is just jam-packed, isn't it? Woo! I love this. Okay, so anytime you see a prayer in the Bible, you know, a prayer for the Ephesians or a prayer for, you know, Jesus prays for the believers and... Anytime you see a prayer like that, or even the Psalms, and you don't know how to pray for somebody, pray those prayers over them. Because then you know that you will be praying God's will. You notice in here that, that he doesn't go into all kinds of little details about, oh, well, you know, the Ephesians are doing this and that and this and that. Lord, I pray that they would stop that. And I pray, you know, they need a new temple and or whatever. You know, it, he, he isn't adding all these details. He's praying like these foundational truths, these blessings, these spiritual blessings. And if you don't know how to pray for somebody, maybe you have a wayward child or you have a family member that doesn't know Christ or you have a coworker or a neighbor or something and you're just at a loss how to pray. Pray prayers like this over them. You know, you can insert their name. One of the prayers that I frequently used to pray over Eric was Psalm 112. And that's, you know, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And it's, you know, there's so much in that one. So, write that one down. Psalm 112. Such a prayer of blessing. It talks about wealth and honor will be in his house. That he will have no fear of bad news. His heart will be steadfast, trusting in the Lord. I've probably told several of you, pray this over your spouse or your children or whatever. But like this prayer, pray this over your family. Pray this over your spouse. Pray this over yourself. Because this is doctrinally correct. <laughs> sometimes our prayers are a little off, right? I know mine are sometimes. We get skewed with our own fleshly desires or our own maybe bitterness or whatever kind of things kind of tend to maybe cause us to pray things that aren't, pray things that aren't necessarily God's will. You know if you're praying something out of the Bible it's God's will, right? It is God's will if you pray it from the Bible. So this is an awesome example of praying for someone else. If they're not yet a believer, you, you know, you pray, Lord, I pray that they would develop a strong faith. Lord, I pray that they, you know, pray futuristically. Insert their name in it. Bring it before the Lord. It's, it's such a basic thing, but yet it's so power-packed because, again, it's God's word. It's living and active. It's the sword of the spirit. You can fight spiritually with this thing. Fight the demonic forces that are holding your family members or your coworkers in bondage. Come against them spiritually. I know that many of you understand that, that at the end of the book, we win because of Jesus. We don't have to walk around in fear. That we, we have, I'll get into this later, but we have so many resources available to us through what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. 
There are, like I said, there are not a lot of little specifics in here. It's a, it's a relatively short prayer, but it is full. So I just want to encourage you, if you don't know how to pray for someone, pray the word of God over them. Does that make sense? Good. All right, so number one. There we go. Wisdom and insight. Ephesians 1.15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I can say, standing before you, that I I probably don't pray this constantly for you. But this is a prayer that I pray over you guys so often. I pray this prayer for you so often that you can grow in your knowledge of God. And not just knowing about him, but knowing him intimately. You know, it's strong faith which is loving God, because if you have a strong faith, you cannot help but love God. You can't have strong faith and not have a deep and abiding love for God when you recognize what he's done and who he is and how he deals with those he loves. So it's a strong faith, which is loving God, and love for the saints, love for others, love for God's people, loving people. The first and greatest commandment, Loving God and loving people. So the strong faith that he talks about here. You know, it says in Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And again, not like, oh, I'm so scared of God. But... God is powerful. He is awesome. He is amazing. He is the king of the universe. To recognize that, to be reverent, and to honor him. It says that is the beginning of wisdom. When we understand, and I don't mean to say this, I mean, I know that, you know, Jesus is a friend of sinners, and, you know, that it says, I used to call you servants, but now I call you friends. But Eric used to say, God is not our buddy. God is all-powerful. And he, because of his vastness and because of how amazing he is and how amazing his love is, he can be a friend to sinners. He can love us as friends, but he is still all-powerful. And you remember, we, we can kind of only deal with one or two characteristics of God at the same time. You know, we can only see him in one way at the same time, but he's always, his glory is that he is all of those things at the same time. He is always merciful, loving. He is always just. He is always kind. He is always patient. He's always long-suffering. All those things at the same time, he's always our shepherd. He's always our redeemer. He's always our king. He's always the Lord of the armies. He's all those things. And I don't mean armies as in of this world. I'm talking about the spiritual battle, the spiritual battle that is clearly at work in this age. So it's talking about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, the definition of wisdom is just knowing how to apply knowledge. It's not just knowing for knowing's sake. That's not what he's praying here. He's not praying, I hope that they just know a lot of stuff about you, God. He is praying, I want them to know you. You know, I know a lot of people that know a lot of stuff about God. They know a lot of scriptures. They know a lot of theological facts. But if you look at the fruit of their lives, it's like, hmm. And you know, I don't, I don't want to go too far on a rabbit trail, but you know there are religious spirits. 
And you, it, it even talks about it in the book of Acts. Remember, uh, the, the apostles are walking down the road, and all of a sudden, there's this woman, and she comes out. She's like, these are men of the Most High God. These are men of the Most High God, which is true. They are men of the Most High God. But they turned around and cast a demon out of her. So don't be deceived. Remember last week we talked about that. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Know the word of God. Know him intimately. You know, it says that I, I, um, I pray for you. I thank God so much for you, for your love for God's people. That's another thing. I'm so proud of you guys because you guys are so loving toward one another. You know, like Iris said, it's like when we break up and do the little, you know, greeting one another, fellowshipping thing. That's the time when you pl- make your lunch plans, by the way. When we do, when we break up and say, greet the people, say, hey, let's go get lunch together. Okay, so that's not the time you try to fill them in on everything that's been going on. So <laughs> that's just a freebie right there. So loving God's people. He's saying how important it is for us to love God's people. And you know, when you really, truly know God... Really know him, not just know about him, but really know him, you are going to naturally love his kids. You know, I mean, I have friends that I love them. I'm just, I'm not that crazy about their kids. (laughs) It's not really true. I just said it for an example. But (laughs) I typically love most kids. Okay. Just just a little inappropriate little joke here, but I heard a comedian say one time, he said, um, he goes, it's one thing to say like a blanket statement like, oh, I love kids, as opposed to specifying an age and a gender. Anyway, that's <laughs> maybe inappropriate. I'm sorry. But I, I mean, I think it's really hard for us to really truly love someone and hate their kids. If we really love someone and we know who they are, we are going to try to walk with them in parenting their kids. I had a family over on Friday. Um, They came over and went swimming, and they have three of just the most delightful little children. And it was like, I, ah, every time they would say something, my heart would just melt. I would just be like, oh, I love those kids. And I think that's how Jesus wants us to feel about each other. Sometimes kids disobey. Sometimes we disobey. Sometimes kids do foolish things. Sometimes we do foolish things. And I think the more that we know God, the more that we grow in our knowledge of God, the more that we're going to have grace for other people. Right? the more that we're going to grow in our ability to see past the sin or the shortcomings or the weaknesses, the more we're going to be able to accept them, right? There's enough verses in the Bible that talk about that, accepting the one whose faith is weak. And and it talks about so much about extending grace. But do we do that? Are we doing that in our daily lives? That's the thing to examine in your own heart. Um, in Philippians 3.8, it says, uh, that's it. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. So what he's saying that, you remember the story about him. He was like the religious superstar. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the amazing religious Pharisee, right? But yet, God chose him. God decided, but it wasn't because of all these religious things he, is, he had done. It was because of the relationship that God developed with him, that he revealed himself to Paul, the apostle, Saul of Tarsus. And when he says, I had all these accolades, it would be like I have a PhD from 
Harvard and I have a Masters of Divinity from, you know, it would be like you have all of these accolades and all of these degrees and all of these certificates and whatever that says, I am so amazing. But he counts it all as garbage. And I heard, I heard a great message on this one time talking about everything goes in the loss column except for knowing Christ. And if you struggle with prayer, you struggle with your prayer life, which I think we all probably do because I think the enemy wants to tell us that we're not doing it right. Just talk to him. Talk to God. Talk to Jesus. You know, when you're just driving in your car, have a conversation with him. When somebody says, hey, will you pray for me about da-da-da-da, just do it right then. It doesn't have to be this formal thing. And I know some people struggle to pray out loud, and I understand that. But I just encourage you, little by little, to try to kind of do that. And don't worry so much if your prayer is right, right. Just kind of talk to God. And come to know him that way, through just talking to him. That's what prayer is. It's talking to God. We make it so complicated, I think. But if you really, truly know Jesus, you can't help but want to talk to him. You know, the word know in the Bible is the, is the same word for marital intimacy, for that depth of intimacy, to know him like that, to know him so deeply and so intimately that he becomes our everything. You know, there's a lot of cult leaders that know a lot of Bible verses and they know a lot of maybe biblical principles. Do you remember a guy named David Koresh? Was he the Kool-Aid guy? No, he was the fire guy. He was the Waco guy. The other guy, who was the Kool-Aid guy? Jim Jones. These guys knew a lot of scripture. I mean, David Koresh, they said he could, I think somebody, I think I remember reading, he could, he could recite like chunks, like chapters of the book of Isaiah. That guy knew the Bible, but did he apply it? Did he have wisdom? No, because what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge. Wisdom is knowing how to take the word of God and say, this is how I am to live. This is how I am to walk. This is how I am to deal with others. This is how I am to view God, to see God. You read the Bible, you get the knowledge, and wisdom is knowing how to apply it to real life. Um, Knowing the Lord, 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves can't be evaluated by others. What is this saying? Some versions say the spiritual man makes judgments on all things. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't it say in Matthew 7, do not judge lest you be judged? How can that be? How can we as believers make judgments on all things? The difference is we're not judging people and condemning them to hell or saying so-and-so is going to hell and -and so-and-so is going to heaven or whatever or judging them in the way that we are condemning them. But you can step back and say, for example, um, if the Bible says something clearly, like, for example, the Bible says that you shouldn't steal. Well, if someone steals... Is it judgmental for me to go, stealing is wrong? That person steals, so stealing is wrong? Is that, is that being judgmental? How about this? Well, I think that her pants were a little too tight. <laughs> and I think that people that smoke are all going to hell. You see the difference in the spirit behind it? We can make judgments on all things if we have the spirit of God, if we have the wisdom of God. And that's why it's saying these things are foolish to people that don't know God, that don't have his spirit. But to those who do, we can make judgments. We can evaluate things. 
They can't be evaluated by people that are in the world, though, can they? Can people in the world make judgments on spiritual things? They try a lot of times, but they can't really make a true judgment. It says, but who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? You know, one, one translation says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? I mean, we, a lot of times I think we use our prayer time as a time to try to tell God what to do, right? Instead of really coming into God's presence, recognizing that we are the clay. He's the potter, we are the clay. And I was, I was just saying yesterday, you know, we were talking about having uh, disagreements and divisions in the body of Christ and how people have different, different theories about certain things, different belief systems, and how I said, you know, there's only one person in the entire world that I agree with 100% of the time. Somebody goes, Jesus? I said, no, I don't even always agree with him all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm wrong, of course. I mean, I didn't always agree with Eric. I only agree with me all the time. I'm the only one. Not that I'm always right. But I'm just saying that that is why it is so critical for us to to know what the Word of God says because we need to have our mind renewed. Like it says in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why would we need to be transformed if we already knew everything? We wouldn't. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because we can instruct the Lord. We can't tell the Lord what to do. It says we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that awesome? We have the mind of Christ. Now, don't just say, just assume that everything that you hear in the spirit or the spirit is always of God. Always be able to back it up biblically. You know, I hear a lot, of, a lot of philosophies that are rooted in traditions. And I always have to step back and say, okay, can you, can you clearly show me where that is? Can you, can you just give me a Bible verse? When Eric first came to Christ, that's what, oh my gosh, he drove us all crazy. Because he did not take anything at face value. By the way, um, if, if you're a guest here this morning, uh, Eric is my husband who went to be with the Lord five months ago. And so I'll refer to Eric a lot because he was, he was an awesome guy. But he used to say when he first came to Christ, he would say um, when he was living on earth, He would be like, show me where it says that in the Bible. How do I know that's true? How can I believe you? And I would be like, well, because it says it somewhere. And he goes, I need to see it. I need to see it. We need to be like that. We need to be like that too. Don't just believe just because somebody says, well, you always need to do whatever. Find a biblical reason and know the the history behind it. Know the context. Study it. Know it for your own life so that you too can have wisdom that you can grow in your knowledge you know it talks about here about the light okay ephesians 1:18 i pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance remember last week we said god is our inheritance We are his inheritance because of Christ. Because Christ died on the cross so that we could be reconciled with God. And this is something that I pray for you guys often, is that your hearts would be enlightened, that you would would come to understand the deep spiritual things of God. That is my passion for you. I'm not working on a commission. So, like, I don't get anything out. Well, I get something out of it because it's awesome to see somebody, to see the light turn on and to see somebody get it and really begin to understand. Uh, Letter A says, God is light. Uh, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we... Go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. 
But if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. You know, I, okay, I do have the reference there, 1 John. The message, it's, if, we, if we are walking in darkness, and what I mean by that is if you're, if you're living a lie, or you act one way, maybe on Sunday morning, or, or with certain people, and then you act another way, that's living in darkness. Living in the light is being the same person all the time, no matter who you encounter. I mean, obviously, there are cultural sensitivities in certain things. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're walking into an a atheist convention, you're probably not going to walk in, praise the Lord, because <laughs> you will get kicked out. <laughs> but I'm saying that if you, are, if you change, if you're a hypocrite, and, and I'm not saying this like, you're a hypocrite. We are all hypocrites at some time, at some point, I think. I think we get self-protective. We have a fear of rejection. I think there are a lot of things that lead to that. But if you're walking in darkness, like living a lifestyle that is a lie, it says that, that you, can't, you can't really know God. You can't continue that. Remember, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that all of the, the lists of all these different sins, it's saying that, you know, if you do those things, you, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. So it's kind of like, uh, wow, I've done all those things, or a lot of them, you know. I mean, I named the ones I haven't done, but, <laughs> but I mean, if you've, done, if you've sinned at all, it seems like, oh, there's no hope, except for the grace of God, that he will continue to convince us not to do those things. His Holy Spirit, if we're really his disciples, if we are really saved and we really know him, we are not going to continue to walk in darkness. We won't be able to. We will want to live in the light. We will want to confess that stuff. Who wants to lead a double life? That's got to be, I mean, that's exhausting, right? It says if, we, if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. Because you can't have fellowship with people if you're kind of lying to them. For example, if a couple is married and one of them is being unfaithful to the other one, there's no possible way that they can have true intimacy with one another because there's a lie. They're living a lie. They're living in darkness. So letter B, our confident hope. Romans 8.22 says, We know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. Woo! For we long for our bodies to be released. Oops, I just lost it. For long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope. Get this eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given, I'm looking forward to that, but we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already know something or already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And that's the hope that Jesus promises, that confident hope that he is going to return. You know, Jesus is coming back. Did you know that? Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. Nobody knows when. And if they tell you they do, they're wrong. Because the Bible clearly says nobody knows when. But he is coming back. And that is our hope. That is totally our hope. The greatness of God's power. Ephesians 1.19, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. I blow a gasket over that one in a good way. Can you even believe the same power that raised Jesus from the dead 
and seated him in the heavenly realms is the same power available to us. What? Are you kidding me? And we're worried that we're not going to make our mortgage payment? I mean, seriously. Does this, ah, I mean, seriously, I'm, I mean, my brain wants to blow up. This is the most amazing thing in the universe is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. How could we not have hope? How could we not trust him if he's making that available to us? Ah, oh, that just blows me away my mind it's available to us we don't need to live in fear we don't need to have anxiety we don't need to stress out or worry we don't need to (sighs) okay I'm recovering that just as you can tell I'm overwhelmed by that concept And I hope you are too. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand is available for us. The nearness of God. 2 Chronicles 13, 12, it says, So you see, God is with us. He is our leader. His priests blow their trumpets and lead us into battle against you. O people of Israel, don't fight against the Lord, the Lord of your ancestors, for you will not succeed. He's saying, God is near us. That same power is near us. It's in us. We don't need to fight against God. You know when you're anxious and you're worrying and you're speculating and you're trying to figure out everything? You're working against God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I know that a lot of people think that I'm a Pollyanna. And, you know, are you coming up here already? Okay, good. Phew. (laughs) I was going to rebuke him in the name of Jesus. (laughs) What was I saying? Was I lying about? Um, Oh, Pollyanna, yeah. I know I cross that line a lot. I think the, the line between faith and idiocy is, is, is a thin line. And I probably step over sometimes. Sometimes I think, but I'd rather, I'd rather be too faithful. And I don't put my faith in my own faith, by the way. I put my faith in him. But I would rather do that. I would rather believe in his goodness and rather believe that his desire is to bless us than believe that it's not, that he's not for me. Or that he doesn't want to bless me and you. I have to tell you this awesome story. I've told several of you, so I apologize for the rerun. But some of you see movies twice, right? So So Monday was a really, really hard day for me. It was the five-month anniversary of Eric's passing. And um, I just, you know, for the last 17 years, Mondays have been our, our family day, our family Sabbath. And... So I just woke up feeling really just kind of just discombobulated, just disoriented, really lost. I didn't know really what to do. And I thought I need to just get up in the mountains and be alone with the Lord. And so I got in my car around 2 o'clock and I turned on the radio at 2.05 to the Christian radio station. And I recognized the voice, but I couldn't place who it was. And he started talking, and this is what he said. He, he said, you know, the end is near, that, that you know, things are going to go crazy, and Jesus has said all these things to us, but we don't know when, when our, the end of our life is going to happen. Just last week, a dear friend of mine went to be with the Lord. He said, do you remember when we used to meet over at the Adventure Church, when they helped us plant our church? And Pastor Eric Vanry, he started talking about my husband and honoring. I'm like turning the radio up. I'm like, hearing this right. I could not believe it. And you know what the Lord was saying to me? I'm with you. I am near to you. 
I am near to the brokenhearted. How could I fight against a God like that? He's near to the brokenhearted. I just wanted to encourage you guys with that story because it's even those little things that would seem so insignificant. But I texted the pastor because they're dear friends of ours, of mine. And um, they, they met here, I think, for like a year and a half when they were planting their church. I had a, a glorious divine appointment. I met him at Starbucks, and he had, they had just moved here from Chicago. And I don't know if you guys remember, but the, the Mission Church, Rich and Laura Sanford, they're awesome people. And, you know, we just, Eric discipled Rich, and it was just, a, it's a precious relationship. So I texted him that day, and I just said, you know, I just heard you on the radio. I'm having a really hard day. Thank you so much for honoring my husband. And thank you, you know, for just mentioning him. I didn't get a text back until the next day because Monday is also their Sabbath. So he texted me the next day and he said, you are not going to believe this. He said, that was the very first day that I forgot to upload a sermon. So the radio station just randomly picked one out and played it. I know, tell me I'm not Jesus's favorite. Okay. (laughs) You are too, okay? He can do that. He's God. He's sovereign. Okay. His mighty power. Philippians 3 says, For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You know, there's a maturity that comes through suffering that we can get no other way. We hate suffering. We hate it all, but there, God is doing something good. We can be near him. He is near us. Don't fight against it. Don't fight against him. And when you're suffering, trust that he's doing something good. You know, Chuck Swindoll says, oh, my spell check changed it to swindle. <laughs> Chuck Swindoll said, no great person has ever become great without great suffering. So if you're suffering and if you're in the midst of it, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He will show you the way to live. Number four, I'm going to, or letter, yeah, number four, I'm going to talk about the church's authority. Ephesians 1.21, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. The Lord is in control. Exodus 14, 13 says, Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians will, t- will see today will never be seen again. You know, Egypt or anything having to do with Egypt in the Bible represents sin or the flesh or our former way of thinking or former life. And it's saying, the Egyptians you see today, you will never, will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And I think, you know, there are some of you who Jesus is just standing there waiting for you to surrender some things to him. He's saying, just stay calm. I am over all things. I am in control. Don't fear Just stand and watch me deliver. Watch me part the Red Sea. Watch me raise the dead. He wants to do that for you, but just stay calm. What does that mean, stay calm and whatever? (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying to us. Worrying. I'm going to step on some toes here. And I can say this because I'm a, a reformed worrier. Worrying is evidence that you don't trust the Lord. Can I say that again? Worrying is evidence that you don't trust the Lord. You say, oh yeah, I totally believe in God, but he's not going to work in this situation for me, right? 
that's evidence that you don't trust him. So what should you do when you know you're doing something that's not right? Yes, confess it. Change your mind. Start to think a different way. I have been delivered from worrying. So I can tell you, I was racked by anxiety and worry. You can be set free. But you have to do the renewing of your mind. You have to know, you have to know what the Bible says about stuff. You have to open it up and read it and learn how to apply it. Because God will instruct you. Other people want to walk with you in this. You know, I was going to show a clip today. You've probably seen it. Now you can come up. It's okay. <laughs> He's so scared. <laughs> He's not really. <laughs> How long have we known each other? 29 years. 29 years. We met in preschool. So, um, <laughs> I was going to show a clip. Um, you've probably all seen it, but if you haven't, you should watch it because it's hilarious. A, a comedian, an old school comedian named Bob Newhart, he's a counselor and he's got this woman in there and she comes in and, and she's telling him, you know, she's got this irrational fear of being buried in a box. And he's like, well, have you ever been buried in a box? And she's like, well, no, I haven't. And he's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to give you some advice now and and I just want you to hear what I, I have to say. I'm just going to tell you two words. Stop it! <laughs> He's just like, stop it! Stop worrying about getting buried in a box. You've never been buried in the box before, so why would you? I'm saying the same thing to you. If you're worrying, just stop it. It is a sin, okay? I'm sorry. And I know that it's the natural flow of things. It's so much easier to worry, isn't it, than to trust God? But ultimately, the more you exercise that faith muscle and the more that you say, nope, God has delivered me in the past. He is going to deliver me in the future. The more that you put your trust and your hope and your faith in him, the more you will recognize his faithfulness in your life. So we're talking about the body of Christ 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, Ira, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would we hear? I just love the irony here. It's, so, it's awesome. How, or if your whole body was an ear, how would you smell anything? We are all part of the body of Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if he has revealed himself to you and you have received the forgiveness that he offered on the cross, you are part of his body. And I will just tell you honestly, if you're not serving anyone else, you're missing out on the blessings that he wants to pour out over you. If you are a part of the body of Christ, you cannot be self-serving. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Sometimes it makes me really sad when I go to the staff meetings and they're like, yeah, we don't have enough teachers for kids ministry. That breaks my heart. Not because I want to make anybody feel guilty, but because I, I just remember how much I grew as a Sunday school teacher, how much those kids taught me. Or when I hear, oh, yeah, we don't have enough people for our Sunday service teams. Because, you know, standing at that front door and greeting people could be life-changing for somebody. There are so many available opportunities. And if you're not serving, you're missing out on what God wants to bless you with. Now, I know there's workaholics and there's people that overly serve and all that. But if you're not serving, I just encourage you, step into that place. And I know I'm over time. Darn it. Taking after Eric. <laughs> See, the Lord's authority over his body. 
Our bodies have, this is continuing 1 Corinthians 12, our bodies have many parts, but God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. God uses the body of Christ to accomplish his work in the world. And the Adventure Church is just one example of a congregation of a church. And you know, the New Testament talks about the church. People like, oh, I I can be a Christian. I don't need to go to church. Well, the New Testament doesn't support that. It's talking about being a part of something. And I know there are different seasons. You know, I've been going through a season of mourning. And, you know, there are different seasons. But at the Adventure... We are not about one person except the Lord Jesus Christ. We are about seeing you released into becoming who God has called you to be. We do church as a team. We really believe that. I'm no no more important than the people that work in the nursery and change diapers. We do church as a team because we need each other. I need you, and you need me. We need each other. That's what the body of Christ is, because we need to reach this state for Jesus. There's so many broken and lost and hurting people, and we have the answer. We need to be faithful. Amen? Do you guys feel beat up? Did I beat you up? Tell me, Sean, do you feel beat up? I like to say that I'm just a tool for Jesus. (laughs) We're all tools for Jesus. Can you stand with me this morning, please? Can the prayer team come forward? This morning, I just want to ask you if if there's anything that kind of convicted you this morning, anything that spoke to you, anything at all that the Holy Spirit was kind of massaging into your heart. Can you just act on that and respond to that? You know, the Bible says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Can you respond either to trusting him fully, giving your heart to him maybe for the first time, not worrying, becoming a part of the body, starting to serve other people? Can you just confess those things and and just be honest about it? and just give yourself fully to him. Again, we've always said we'd rather have a church of 25 full disciples than 25,000 people that are apathetic or lukewarm. We didn't come out here to make attenders, church attenders. We came out here to make disciples. If you feel like maybe you're not quite there, I just encourage you to respond. Come forward and talk to me or talk to one of these people that's up here to pray with you. So, Lord, I'm sorry that I went over, but, Father, I just pray, um, Lord, that, God, you would just work your word into the hearts of your kids that you love so much. I just pray that you would inspire them, Lord. I pray that if there are those who have never come to know you, Lord, today would be the day that you would reveal yourself to them and they would receive your forgiveness, Lord just ask that you would pour out your spirit, that you would bless us with every spiritual blessing. You would open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. You would enlighten our hearts with the light of the confident hope, God, that you are in control, that you own all things, and you've given us that same power, and that we would walk in that power and trust you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now go picnic or do fireworks or something. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.